Hi everyone and welcome to One Mic Night, the podcast that brings you stories of artists and real people in entertainment and life, helping to guide, answer questions, and motivate you in the business. My name is Marco Luis and I want to thank you all for listening and joining in on this podcast episode. I'm really, really excited today. My guest is a historian, he's an aficionado, he's keeping alive the history of art and music. He's the host of WCOS Radio, which broadcasts in the UK, Soul Facts Show. Please welcome Mike Boone to One Mike Night. Hello, Mr. Boone. Welcome, welcome. Hello, Marco. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here on the podcast. Good. Thank you. Listen, I have, let's, I just want to get right, I have questions. <laughs> I want to get right into it. Okay. Let us know who you are. Who is Mike Boone, the Chancellor of Seoul? Well, uh, as you stated a minute ago, I'm a music historian in New York, Harlem, New York. Um, music historian, you know, something that I always love to do, you know, uh, tell the history of the artists, army artists, all pop artists, it doesn't matter, you know, in this case. Uh, I've been doing this for a long, long time, you know. Um, I DJed once, you know, a long time ago. Continue to keep alive the art, you know, the artist, the R&B artist that deserves more recognition in the music. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, their music is being played, heard all over TV, uh, television, radio, movie, uh, all over. I mean, they're heard all over the place, but people don't know who these people are. So what I do is just try to tell the story of the artists and get in depth like uh, stories of the artists people who they are because you hear the music right yeah you don't know who the artists are so i just give a little summary of who these people really are well deserved well deserved artists interesting now why first of all let's let's do two things one let everybody let everybody know what's what's r&b what's soul music what, what's the definition in your opinion you know it's funny i get this question a lot um there are many definitions definitions of soul you know the one I can describe is feeling. Mm, yes. Feeling. feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's what you feel in your inner spirit, you know, because we have an inner spirit, we have an outer spirit. The inner spirit is, is more, uh, outer spirit is more material. It's like physical. Inner spirit is spiritual where things seep in, like music and, and yeah. like that. So um, R&B soul is feeling. That's the only word I can describe. There's many definitions. You know, a lot of people uh, like Ray Charles and all of them try to describe what soul music is. They, right. they have too many definitions, but to me, it's a feeling. It's what you feel in the inner spirit. What they project comes in here. Right. And what, they, what they project to you comes within here. So it's a feeling. It's like an unbelievable feeling you cannot even explain. It's just something that, you, you know, it just makes you want to burst. Gotcha. So it, it literally is something that that's from your soul, from the spirit around you. Do you feel like that that's that's a, a cultural history? Is there a history connected to it? Well, I mean, I know spiritual. Well, I know from slavery times. Yes. You know, call and response, things like right. that, you know. Um, but yeah, it's definitely historical, you know, especially among African-Americans with us. Right. Our heritage and our people and what we projected 
uh, our ancestors projected during the, the slavery times, whatever. And it just rolled into the 20th century. That was the 19, 18th, 19th century, and then it rolled into the 20th century. And we just took it from there, from jazz, to boogie woogie, into rock and roll, R&B, which R&B started rock and roll. Right. And, um, so it, it, it definitely is a historical, cultural thing with African-Americans, associated with African-Americans. And uh, yeah, that goes back to, oh my goodness, maybe two, three, four hundred years. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Africa, too. Why, uh, why not, why not uh, gospel? Do you, do you deal with gospel mm. music at all? Because, I, mm. listen, I, you know, my kinship to gospel goes deep, too. My grandfather is one of the pre predecessors of gospel music. He mm -hmm. sang for the Fireside Singers. So that right. was way back in the day. Right. So I grew up listening to gospel music and, and listening to him on the radio and TV show and things like that. Wow. Yeah, definitely gospel. It's definitely, like I said, that goes along back to slavery time because it was gospel. It was like whatever they couldn't project because of the uh, plantation owners that owned them or whatever like that. They had to project through another way. Right. So yeah, it was like yeah, gospel, number one, number one. That's what really started. You mm -hmm. know, that was like the genesis of what this music is about. And gospel into R&B, you know, uh, that projected into that. And from the, like I said, you know, uh, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s soul, you know, you know, late 50s into 60s, early 60s soul. And it was nothing gospel had interject into that where it became R&B. Mm. You know, it had yeah. to know that because the, the original singers were gospel singers. They grew up singing gospel. So, you know, they just projected because, well, they had to eat. You right. know, they weren't making any money in, in the gospel field, like Sam Cooke and all of them. So they just went to the secular field and just started, you know, making money there with R&B. But they, they never forgot their roots. They injected the roots into what R&B is. And that's where soul comes in. Because soul is here. Mm, it's, okay. it's right here in the inner spirit. You cannot, you know, like I said, it, it, if I play soul music, if I play something, you know, from the past, which I do, and I can't explain what my feelings will project. It's a feeling of happiness. It's a feeling where I can't escape. It's like a, a bubble that enwraps me. Right. I just cannot. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get out, but I can't get out because it's in me. You know, I feel it. I feel it. And... That's why I said that R&B and soul is a feeling, mm. an unexplainable feeling that you just cannot. It's many definitions. It's so many definitions. Right. You know? Tell us a little bit about your, your show. You do a lot of things. I know you have the, the radio show that broadcasts in the UK, and I went back and I revisited some of those shows, and it's fantastic. I want everybody, make sure you revisit this, this, uh, this show that's online. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, Soul Facts, uh, that's the name of the show. It's, it's, um, it's basically a show that highlights the history of music of R&B artists um, and their music and everything. Keeping them, it's like uh, keeping the legacies alive. You know, like I said earlier, I wanted to uh, talk about these artists because I've been in many conversations with people, black and white. And uh, it just seems that more or less um, uh, uh, another culture of, of, of outside people, like Japanese people, I mean, you know, like uh, Asian people, uh, white people, you know, mm -hmm. seem to know our culture a little bit more. So um, not to say our people don't really know, 
but I, I wish they would more or less embrace it much more than people outside of our culture. So when I started, you know, when I had conversations, you know, with different people, it just be like how people just learning more when they should know more. Right. And I said, no, you know what? I'm gonna do something about this. I wanna do a show where basically all the music that is being played, radio, television, movies, movie trailers everywhere, you hear this music or whatever, people don't know who they are. Right. And you know, I mean, you know, it seemed like, you know, more or less our people don't know who they are. Right. So I said, no. So that's where uh, Soul Fact Show came in. It came in a dream, actually. You know, I, I woke up four in the morning, out of sleep, and had a pencil and pad, and I wrote down, and I jotted down my ideas, and you know, like uh, like a proposal more or less, and what I want to do with it. I'm half sleep, you know, right. sleep in yeah. my mind, I'm like this, I'm like, okay, just writing down stuff. Then I threw it away, I mean, threw it on the side, and I went to sleep. I wake up the next morning, this. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I like that. That's when you know an idea is good. Right. That's when it comes right. to you in the sleep and then you think about it again. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's what happened with that. And so I just started um, uh, a new tool, a new uh, tool came out called YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so. That was my next question. When did you start oh, this? Go ahead. How, no, go ahead. No, you got it. Keep okay. going. That's well, it. you know, when YouTube came out, you know, mm-hmm. it was like maybe. Five years old at the time, you know, it was, it was current, you know, still, you know, in its genesis and its infancy. So, um, I had a dear friend of mine, entertainer named Tony Drake, you know, he passed away. But um, he was like my mentor and everything. So, first we started saying, um, man, you know, the internet is the way to go. So, we need this, you know, the internet. You know? So, um, I said, well, you're right. So, then we used the tool of YouTube. It's like global. That. So then, you know, I just sketched out the ideas of who I wanted to do. And um, first, I had to do a test. I did a song. There was a song called um, Soul Heaven by this this jockey in New York, this jockey called Dixie Drifter. He and Hawthorne Gregory, he was on WWRL, Super 16 here in New York. And uh, he had a song called Soul Heaven. He talked about the passing artists at that time, Donna Washington, Sam Cooke, and people like that. And I did my first video on that. I said, oh, this is fun. I said, I want to do this. So then I sketched the idea and said, that's it. And I just started doing it on YouTube. And it grew. You know, I was shocked. You know, the ones um, came on and said, oh, man, you know, please give me more. Give me more. And, you know, all this. So I said, okay. So I just started doing it. And I've been doing it for years, like around maybe 11, 12 years or so, you know. But um, I have to tell you the history. It started basically from um, a website called soulpatrol.com. And a gentleman named Bob Davis. So You said Soul Troll? Soul Patrol. Soul Patrol. Okay. Soulpatrol.com, yeah. Okay. Uh, they just revived that, as a matter of fact, this year. You know, he came back with it, you know. Okay. So um, I started um, writing stories from Soul, on soulpatrol.com. And Bob Davis would put my posts of these artists on Soul Patrol, where it went global, you know, because this is about this thing, he, he, this thing was global. Wow. I said, wow, so okay, so then people started writing from England, uh, from Holland, all over the place. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know this, I didn't know that, you know. You know? So that's how that started, and it just, you know, it just flew, it just flowed into what I'm doing now. So that's basically what Soul Facts is, it's just 
you know, history of music and the artists, R&B artists, and preserving the history and telling the story of who these people are. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, because I went online and I looked at some of the videos and just the amount of information you give in that short little clip is mind-blowing. Like, you learn all these facts about all these artists that you may have heard of and may not have heard of, and it's, it's spectacular. Like, you get a whole history lesson in 10 minutes, eight minutes, and I love that. Thank you. I tried, I tried to give as much as I could. So, speaking of uh, uh, UK and, Jap and Japan, how do you, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I feel like soul music, you're right, soul music is very prevalent in those places. Those people have a hunger to know the history and, and, and thrive off of that. I interviewed last week a, a musician and singer, her name is Carlene Graham. Make sure you check out Carlene Graham music. She is based in Spain now, but she's from the UK. First of all, her knowledge of soul music is crazy. And, you know, she's a black artist. And she just, people just want to know in the UK and Germany and, and, and Japan, they have a hunger for this. Yes. Why do you think that is? Because um, I think it's just a passion that they have, you know, they're from other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. The United States, you know, is a fascinating country. We have many genres of people, of, 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 you know, many cultures here. And it seemed like black culture, you know, after her is one of the most interesting. Not to disrespect any other cultures, because I love looking at other cultures, European and everybody. Right. But just the fact that we have a very fascinating culture and uh, Afrocentric culture is just amazing. Right. How, and the music and how it started the genesis of the music. So other people from other parts of the world want to know this. They're curious. They're, they're, they have a passion and hunger for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and um, so I think that it's something, it's like, you know, it's a certain toy, you're a little boy, you have a certain toy that you want and you can't have, but you want it. Right. That's what it's like with them. Right. You know, and they hear the music, they hear the ambiance of soul music. And like I said earlier, it's a feeling. It's, a, it's, it's what you feel in here. That's what they feel. Right. And they will cherish it. They will honor it. They will, you know, polish it and do everything they can to preserve it. And that's what I love about the, you know, the people overseas that uh, preserve. That's the number one word. Right, yeah, yeah. You know? And You're they right. believe in preserving soul music, R&B music, uh, no matter who the artist is, you know, the unsung heroes right. of R&B. And, um, you know, they amaze me. They absolutely amazed me because I have talked to some people and they've asked me questions over the years when I was on Soul Patrol. You know, Mr. Boom, Chancellor, how do you, you know, who is this, uh, you know, uh, uh, where did he appear at? You know, uh, you're from Harlem, right? So da 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 da, you know, and they, oh my goodness, you know, I used right, to get yeah. that stuff from overseas. Right. You know, what what was the scene like for you here? Are you have you always been based in Harlem in New York? Yeah. Because New York is crazy. I'm 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 in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Now, right. What was what was the Harlem scene like for you and mu music wise? Uh, back in the day, or we uh, just the, back the, in the day, like back in the day. Yeah. Man, uh, I think we'd be here all day. I tell you, man, it was the most exciting time in my upbringing mm. because my second home I called the Apollo Theater. Yes. I've been going there since I was three years old. My mother used to take me and her and her friends. She would sit me on her lap. 
and I would see some of the greatest people on earth that, that, that graced that stage. Right. And um, it was exciting. My adrenaline used to go up every single time, you know, you know, people's nerves. Right. And, uh, you know, and uh, listening to the radio, like I mentioned earlier, there was a station here in New York, AM station, top 40 station called WWRO, and a sister station, WLIB. And we were tuned to that constantly, 24-7. And they played some of the greatest R&B music wow. in the world, okay? And you're talking right. about the soul, yeah. and you're talking about the ambiance of Harlem, Afrocentric, people were taking Swahili classes, they were taking karate, they were embracing Africa. They were embracing Africa, embracing the instruments, right. uh, the dashikis, uh, the various colors, you know, and the representation of Africa that was important to black people. And getting the naturals, getting an Afro right. was extremely important to us because everybody reached to conquer their hairs for acceptance. Exactly. You know? And it was like, which was nice. Yeah. I mean, some pretty people came out of there, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that when you learn acceptance within yourself as a person, black people, right? I want to go natural, man. You know, I want to do, I want to just be me. Right. And that's when, you know, like around 60, 60, 1966, 67, 68, mm -hmm. those was in. Sisters was wearing afros, right. the earrings. Right. Uh, they were accepting themselves. Right. They, you know, black is beautiful. Um, this is during the Black Panther time, you know, the, the, you know, during the revolution of the Black Panthers and, and uh, the, uh, the different parent organizations that were in the community where you can go to, the marches, mm -hmm. the, um, the parades, the African-American parade in 68. I remember seeing the Black Panthers with their liberation colors flag, you know, and just right, yeah. black is beautiful, chanting that. Right. You know, and uh, James Brown coming out with Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And just embracing ourselves as a people. Right. It was exciting, man. Right. Speaking of James Brown, how important was music for that fight, for that struggle, for that pride, for that everything? James Brown is my hero. He's yeah. my number one hero since I was going back to three years old. And James Brown was a street cat. He was from the streets, he was from the ghetto. We can relate to him. Right. When he spoke truth, he spoke from his heart. He said, I've been there. I've shined shoes in front of the uh, radio station that I now own. You know what I'm saying? And, and I came up poor, dirt poor, holes in shoes, didn't have an education. But I got blessed. Mm. And I had a talent. And I used that talent and to not only for myself, but for my people, to uplift my people. Right. So when he came out and I saw him at the Apollo in his prime, and I was a little boy, he said, listen, I'm a black man. I'm a proud black man. I'm one of you. I know where you're coming from. I know how you feel. Right. But you can make it as an individual. You know, education. He strives education to black people. Education is the number one key to success. He always strived that. And um, he started a program, Don't Be a Dropout program back in 66 with Hubert Humphrey. Mm. So he had a record called Don't Be, Don't Be a Dropout. So James Brown was like the number one symbol and hero for us as a people back in the day. And getting to say a lot of black and the proud, he saw a video uh, uh, on the news uh, of black people just, you know, we always used to get negative news 
right. back in the day as yeah. we do now. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he saw that with uh, his band leader, Pee Wee Ellis. He said, Mr. Ellis, why, why, why black people don't love each other? Why don't why they always got to fight one another, kill one another? You know, why don't we uplift ourselves? Mm -hmm. And so that night he wrote, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. He showed it to uh, Pee Wee Ellis and then they sketched out the music and the, the arrangements. And next thing you know, that record was on, on the streets. And it was the most incredible thing to, you know, because it related to all shades of our right. culture. So it's Marco Luis, we're back again, and we're talking with the Chancellor of Soul, Mike Boone. And we're talking about James Brown and what life was like and the whole movement of, of music and, and, you know, life was back then. James Brown sort of, he sort of pushed it forward, you know, with rights and equality and, and things like that. Who else was in the scene that, that sort of pushed it forward, musically or otherwise? Oh, uh, there was quite a few. It was Curtis Mayfield, we discussed before. Uh, he was an integral part of the civil rights movement with songs and a lot of the of Dr. King's uh, <clears throat> followers, and I followed from what his people that associated with him used to sing not only the gospel, but they sing Curtis music, you know, like We're Winner and, and uh, People Get Ready, inspirational songs that Curtis composed and they would, you know, sing during the movement. Uh, my goodness. Um, Nina Simone, another one, yeah. who definitely uh, revolutionaries, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. Um, her and, oh my goodness, a lot of the soul singers back then were instrumental in playing a part as far as civil rights and uh, the ambiance of what was going on at that time, you know. Um, it wasn't all about dancing, you know what I mean? It wasn't all about doing the boogaloo and shingling. You know, it was political aspects that they were trying to express through their music and through poetry. You know, we had Henry Brockery, we had um, Nikki Giovanni, you know, um, whew, we had a, a, a Sonia Sanchez, another one, you know. Um, I mean, it was a array of people, an array of, you know, groups. Now it's just singers, but it was just, you know, all around. Right, and I love that because some of those people you mentioned are still around today and it still resonates with today's movement. Yes. Sonia Sanchez, you know, it's, it's yes. crazy. And Nina Simone, you still feel that, you know, mm -hmm. old music when you hear it today. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely, because when she composed Young Gibson and Black, Black, excuse me, she uh, was, it was in tribute to Lorraine Hansberry, you know, who was a writer for Raising the Sun. Mm -hmm. uh, they were best friends. So, but it was significant to the times because this is the late 60s you're talking about. And when she composed that was late 68, right into 1969. And uh, so we needed an uplift in our community. When James Brown, we already left up James Brown, say a lot of black and I'm proud. So now inspirational songs were coming out about our people and to uplift our people. Uh, there was a song, uh, some rare, rare soul song that I play all the time on my iPod. It's called Black is Beautiful. And it was a guy named Nikki Lee. And um, a WWRL, the station I mentioned in the last show, last segment, uh, used to play that all the time. Black is beautiful, you know. And that was a, a slogan that was a saying back then to uplift our spirituals. Yeah. In the yeah. spirit. And so um, um, that one, and uh, it, it just, oh man, I mean, I, I could be here all day. 
<laughs> with so many uh, people who contributed to uh, the Black Caucus and, and, and the uh, civil rights and the ongoings of what was happening at that time. I mean, it was rent strikes. It was a lot of stuff that was going on uh, in Harlem at that time and, and in New York in general. But with Black people, that was the main, uh, I would say, uh, focus was just to keep us uplifted. Right. Love ourselves as a people, you know, and, and, and to appreciate our culture. Right. Do you feel like it's gone full cycle, you know, in the present day, or has, has it just never gone away? Like, where are we I, at now? Well, I basically say it hasn't really gone away, you know, because now you have the, the younger generation, the millennium generation that's carrying the torch, basically. And uh, then you got the new music out with the neo-soul and everything. Like, they're trying to keep the, the ambiance of soul music from the 60s on to now, you know. Right. Um, yeah, the torch has been carried on to a new generation of people. And I believe it's still... Now, if you're talking about the same feel as it was in the old days... Well, maybe not. Right. But the torch is still carried. That's the important thing. And the important thing is that the fact that they uh, will take whatever was going on in the 60s and, you know, extend it to what's going on today. Because it's basically the same thing. What happened in the 60s is going on right now. Police right. brutality, everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, and so it's just a different time. It's just a different century, you know. But um, it, still, it still remains the same. Just right. about how do you think that resonates? I know your show is, you know, uh, in the UK. How do you think that resonates across the seas, overseas? You know, not so much the movement, but just the music. Why do you think it, you know, it's so big in the UK and across Europe? You know, um, I would say the love of soul music, love our culture, first of all. Yeah. That's number one. And then the soul music and, and where it came from, the, the genesis of it, which is from Africa. People from all walks of life are fascinated with our culture, you know, and I can't say for some strange reason, but it's just our culture is so enriched. It's unbelievable. And the people overseas accept it. I mean, they wish, I guess it was their culture because it's so enriched. You know, we had uh, Africans that knew mathematics that, you know, knew the seas by, you know, by just, uh, through their minds and everything and, and, and the spices and the foods they made and, and, and the ingredients and things just from up here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and the music, it was just from their soul, as I explained the last time, you know, so overseas, they love our culture and they love our music. They will take uh, music artists that have made it halfway through this in this in this in this country right and we're like we will just dispose it and we'll just get rid of it where the people overseas like oh no we'll take that it's like you know recycle it and right. we'll take yeah. it and just build it up so that's why you had so many artists go over there and live because they were kings and queens over there right you know yeah. they weren't getting paid over here you know they were just like well you're old and we can just you know we don't need you anymore you know that music is dead that music is you know it's not alive anymore but the people in England and, and, and France and Holland, Japan, China, all these places all over the world embraced our culture and music. So today, it's even more widespread than it's ever been before because it started in 1969. It's called Northern Soul. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's where it all began in the club, uh, the Twister's Club, Twister Wheel Club or something like that, different various clubs that just took this 
rare soul music and just brought it in and those same people just to come over, you know, and entertain us, you know. So it's kind of it's kind of uplifting in a way and it's kind of sad in a way because I mean here in the US we should appreciate everything that we present, you know, whereas entertainment, you know, Absolutely. or yeah, our culture, everything. You know yeah. what I mean? So they over there, they they love it, man. It's like um I mean I'm happy that my radio shows uh resonate over there because you know, um when they picked up my radio show, um, going on four years now, uh, Classic Hits UK, a uh, gentleman named David Abbey had picked it up from YouTube. And that's where it came from, originally came from. He loved it. He said, you know, uh, Chancellor, I, I, you know, I would love to broadcast that on my uh, Classic UK. I said, fine with me, you know. So um, it's been there ever since. And, um, you know, so uh, I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud that the music and the legacy stays alive. Yes. You know, you know, and I, I personally am excited because like I said before, I you know visited some of those things and, and it's like a whole new world for me because you know, growing up in pop culture, you don't really see that. You don't really know the history of where this all came from. And you know, every now and then you'll hear a sample of some music and you're like, oh, well, man, you know, that's new music. The kids say, oh, that's new music. No, it really isn't because it came from somewhere else. And then you right. go back and you revisit that whole thing and it's a whole new world, absolutely. a whole new feeling. Absolutely, and that's the thing. When when uh, when uh, rap came out, you know, I was I was a teenager. So in in Harlem, I mean, it was just um, it was like a a, a new phase, to, you know, because every generation of kids wants something different, right? You know what I mean? In the '40s, it was it was bebop, and then boogie woogie. You know, and then went into rock and roll with Lou Richard and, and, and Fats Domino and all of them, you know. So they wanted something new, something exciting. Even the white kids, you know what I mean? Because even the white kids, you know, they were bored with Pat Boone. They were bored with uh, Gail Storm and all these uh, white artists and not to take anything away from them. But they wanted something exciting and they're in the spirit. It was crying. So when Lou Richard and, and Fats Domino and Chuck Berry and Lloyd Price and Frankie and the Teenagers came out, man. It was like, oh my God, rock and roll. <laughs> this is it, man. You know? Yes, yes. So, you know, and um, so every generation wants something new. We right. as teenagers wanted something new in the 70s. I mean, we had disco, we had funk, we had fusion, jazz fusion, with Miles Davis and British Brew. We had all of this stuff, you know, in like a, a mulligan stew type of musical thing, that, you know, described. But when rap came out and I went to, I used to go to, we used to call it jams back then. So we used to go to jams in the park. The guys had the equipment out like uh, DJ Cool Herc and, uh, you know, uh, DJ Hollywood, you know, who doesn't get mentioned. Uh, Grand Wizard Theodore, who was faster than Flash. He's another guy that everybody should know about. You know what I mean? Everybody should know, not just Flash, you know, should have got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Grand Wizard Theodore was one of the fastest spinners. This is killing me. You're killing me because you're, you're like a volcano full of information. This is, you know what I mean? Like, this is so exciting, so interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's that's our, you know, our history, our culture. Yeah. You know, as far as rap and everything, I mean, you know, being there was exciting, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it wasn't violence. It wasn't about violence. It wasn't about killing one another or disrespecting our systems or whatever like that. It was like crew against crew. Right. Who can rap the best? Who, can, who had the best with it? Who can fly in the depth OJ? You know what I'm saying? Or something like that. You know, OJ, of course, that was like a, 
a limousine type of right. Like true rap battles, but not right. demeaning people and, and, and things like that. And the women, right. yeah. Right, and so that's what that was about. It wasn't, you know, I'm not gonna say it was no violence back then, you know, it was, but not as bad as it is now. Went over the gang violence and everything like that, but they were gangs. But if you stayed out of that territory, you were cool, you know what I mean? They ain't bothered you, didn't bother them, you know? But we all came together. We were there, of course, to meet the girls and listen to the music and, you know, hear the guys cut and who was the best rapper, you know, in Harlem world. That was another place I used to go. Uh, the Fever in the Bronx, another place. Um, uh, Sedgwick Avenue, all these, you know, places where these people would be at. Treacherous Three and, and, and uh, Spoonie G and uh, DJ Hollywood, as I mentioned, um, yeah, you yeah. know, and uh, later, you know, later the Fat Boys and all that came later. But I mean, the, the real hardcore genesis of rap. Bobby Robinson, another store, 125th Street. He was the one he should give credit also because he had a, a studio in the back of his store, 125th Street. And all the rappers, uh, Grandmaster Flash, all of them, Spoonie G, all of them just go back there in the studio and rap and bring these records out. And he was one of the first to bring uh, rap on record. Oh, wow. And one of the first. But um, there was, I mean, everybody says the Sugar Hill Gang was like the first commercial. Right. But, okay, yeah, you could say that, but there was another rap song that came out months before that was called King Tim Third Personality Job. And his name King Tim Third with the fat back name. This was months before the Sugar Hill Gang came out with Rapper's Delight. So the Fat Bad Band doesn't get credit neither or King Tim the Third, and that was the, really the first you know commercial rap that was released on record. Then came the Sugar Hill Game, but it got more notoriety because Sylvia Robinson, who had Sugar Hill Records, who was phenomenon in the music business. He's you know she's the godmother of rap, as they call her. But you know she's been around a long time and had connections and you know and just put it out there. The next thing you know, we were from the streets. And then it was on the radio, like, what? You know, that was an, that was like unheard of, like a rap song on the radio? Black radio? Yeah, um, yeah. What? No, it was, it was, you know, but you know, it was just exciting, you know, to hear that. And then it crossed overseas, as we talked about earlier, right. to England. Then the white, you know, the white people started listening to uh, the Sugar Hill, Sugar, Hill, excuse me, Sugar Hill Gang because they got more uh, press. And they got, you know, commercials. So when it started playing on the radio, the next thing you know, it kind of blew up. And then it made history. You know, right. we thought we was making history then. It was just everything. We thought it wouldn't last. And look at it now. We thought, it, listen, let me tell you something. If you told me in the summer of 1978, when I was in the Bronx in, in Castle Hill, that Merlin, the magician, came in and said, you know, Mike, let me tell you, you know, this stuff right here, man, in about 40 years it's gonna be a billion dollar business i looked at him now he's Merlin. he's supposed to know everything he knows the future he foretolds everything and this guy i'm like i mean you up to your mind you crazy this ain't gonna last. Right. you know what i mean it was just for us it was underground it was just a thing that we loved so but that that, that merlin was correct yeah. <laughs> it's a billion dollar business man sure is know? and it's ongoing sure is so tell us a little bit about your, your show, too. Um, the online show, well, in the UK and the, and the one you have online on video. Well, it's basically the same thing. It's, it's called Soul Facts. And uh, Soul Facts basically is a show that highlights the music 
and the history of, of R&B and pop artists, you know, and keeping their legacies alive, telling the stories, uh, how their music came to be about, how they came to be about as artists. And um, a lot of people don't really know who these people are. So I had the idea of just telling stories individually and including their music. So, you know, cause people know their music. Some people know their music through commercials, uh, TV shows or whatever. Right. But you don't know who these artists are, you know? Right. And so it was like, okay, you know, it's time to bring a show out that would tell the story and keep the legacy alive of these artists that are, that were in the past, but who still being played today. You know what I mean? And that's the whole key. So Soul Facts is based on that. And, um, the actual factual of the artists, the music, they're behind uh, uh, the background and everything like that. So uh, it's basically the same show in, in the UK because they picked it up from YouTube. I started on YouTube and um, uh, just, you know, the pictures and, 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 and the, the music and everything, give people a general idea of what Soul Facts is. And so they picked it up from there and loved it. You know, uh, Classic is UK and they just said, uh, David Abbey said, I love it, man. You know, can we just, uh, airing on air, so it airs every Sunday at three o'clock. Just want to let everybody know that too. Good, good. Um, you know, so anybody want to listen to it audio, they can. You know, so that's basically what Soul Facts. It's just a gate. It's just a gateway for a lot of. I'm not going to say unsung, but somewhat, because these people sold millions of records. Right. Yeah. You know, but it's just they're forgotten. Nobody remembers who they are, and I thought that was kind of unfair. You know, for their music to be played, and the generation of now and before didn't know who these people were. So that's basically what it is, is just to keep their, their legacy alive. Legacy alive. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Is there any specific way that you go about choosing people? Or are you just like just giving everybody the history of everybody, like that whole genre of people? No, well, you know, I mean, well, you know, not really, because I mean, like, uh, I listen to music a lot. Mm -hmm. and whoever I want to listen to, I say, you know what? Not a story told about them. So maybe I do something on them. Or. Nah, you know, it depends on my, it depends on my, uh, my mood, my, uh, whatever my spirit tells me to do. Say, hey, man, you know, you know, it nudge me and say, hey, man, you need to do a story on such and such, you know. So it's basically through when I listen to music or it is possible in my head, you know, whoever, because music constantly plays in my head 24-7. I can wake up with music right. and sleep with it, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. been like that ever since I was three, four years old. So um, whoever I think of, and I feel is that they're not out there in the world, you know, uh, I would say uh, documented. I mean, they may be in books or whatever, but visual in this generation, in this time, I would say, I'm going to, you know, I want to do this particular artist or, um, you know, just, just inspiration just, just comes from nowhere. You know what I'm saying? My you know, divine spirit just boom pops up and I just do it, you know? So that's basically where the general idea comes from. From like here. I like that. So I, when it's all said and done, what, what is it that you want to leave behind? What's the legacy you want to leave behind from the Chancellor of Soul? Um, wow. I would like to leave what I'm, what I'm basically doing right now. I want to leave a legacy of cherishing the artists that I cherish as, as, as a, a youth, <clears throat> as a child. All the people that I'm doing now, if people can know who they are and appreciate them, that's the legacy I want to leave, you know, because that's what I am. I'm a music historian. <clears throat> that's what God had told me to pursue. And um, 
basically that's it. You know, they could just remember the, you know, Chancellor Soul as being a music historian that just kept the legacy of R&B artists alive and um, telling their stories and just putting it out there in the world. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. I like that. Yeah. Well, keep doing what you're doing because we're loving it and we are inspired by your work. And thank you very, very much. Let everybody know how they can get in touch with you and how they can reach you and find your show. Oh, uh, they can reach me at Mike. Yeah, they can reach me at Mike Boone Two, the number two at AOL.com. Uh, they can reach me there if they want to email me, have any questions or whatever. And uh, through Facebook, you know, Mike Boone, Chancellor Soul, they can reach me there and uh, you know, join in or whatever. And they can check out my videos uh, on Chance B uh, on YouTube. Chance B on YouTube. Yeah, Chance B on YouTube. And uh, all my videos are displayed there. But as far as getting contact, that is, you know, they can contact me at um, MikeBoom2 at Very good. We got you. Once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody, make sure you go to YouTube, Chance B on YouTube, and find the Chancellor of Soul and everything that he's doing because it's incredible. Thank you all for listening. This is One Mike Knight. Follow us on all social media, One Mike Knight Podcast. One Mike Knight is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. You can follow me at M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S on all social media too. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you next time on One Mike Night, the podcast.